Welcome back, Grief Nation listeners. And today on our show, we have a very special guest, and her name is Sarah Burdine. Sarah, how are you? I'm wonderful. I'm excited to be on your show, Miami. Thank you. You are so welcome. We are going to just jump right in. I've been so excited to speak to you. Sure. So the first question that I have is, if you had to describe yourself, who are you? I think this is such a multifaceted answer. I am a work in progress. I am on the latter part of my 50s, pushing 60 in a few years, and I'm still a work in progress. My proudest thing uh, that I am is a mom and a grandmother. Um, I have wonderful children. I have two incredible grandchildren. Um, so those are the most important things that describe who I am. I'm a daughter, I'm a sister, an aunt, I'm a granddaughter still, um, I'm a friend, um, and then I'm an advocate. I am um, a, hopefully a changer, um, a mover and a shaker. I'm a wannabe writer. Um, I'm a lot of things, but my, my proudest uh, accomplishment and proudest thing is for the mom and grandma that I am to my kids and grandkids. All right. Oh, so amazing. That's, that's touching to me for you to even acknowledge everybody. And that makes that whole makeup of you yeah. who you are. Yes, yes, yes. So absolutely sharing that. So if you could please share both life altering events, we have talked over some time and I've heard your story, but please, you know, share it with my grief nation listeners, um, the life altering events that have changed your life. Yes, absolutely. Um, in December of 2009, my husband, um, who was my husband for 15 years and my best friend for 25 years, I was so fortunate to marry my best friend. Um, just right before Christmas, he had laid down for a nap. He'd been sick with the flu. Um, and he laid down for a nap on a Saturday afternoon and, um, he didn't wake up. He passed away within a couple minutes of laying down. Um, and passed away in his sleep. They, the doctors are rather the medical examiner said he had an enlarged heart and it was an instant dysrhythmia, not a heart attack, but just an instant dysrhythmia from an enlarged heart. Um, that devastated my family. Um, my youngest children were nine and 11 when it happened. My oldest were 21. I have a, uh, my son Sierra was 21 and my stepdaughter Elysia was also 21. Um, and it, it, it just devastated us. It was a complete shock. My husband was only 45. Um, and while he had health problems, no one expected him to pass away that day. Um, it's forever changed December, how we feel about December, how we feel about Christmas in our family. Um, and, and it just, it's, it's a huge void. It's a huge void for, for my children and, and for me and for my grandkids that never got to meet their grandfather. Um, just two and a half years after my husband died, my son, my oldest son, Sierra was shot and killed August 25th of 2012. That was again, a complete shock. Um, you know, it's interesting. People have asked me, would I rather know someone is dying? So I get the goodbyes. I've, I've never had that in my life. I've, my father died unexpectedly. My husband died unexpectedly. And my son died unexpectedly. So I don't know what that's like at all. Yeah. Um, I know that just the shock of it has been 
life altering and, and, and all of those um, circumstances. Um, but they, you know, I'm, I'm forever changed by, especially my husband and, and my son's death. Absolutely. I'm so sorry that this has happened yeah. to your family. And thank you. Uh, like you said, the shock of it all. And for some reason, mm-hmm. um, I know earlier you spoke about um, becoming an author and, mm-hmm. you know, those three deaths tie all in together for you. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, great type of the shock of it all, you know, not knowing and would mm-hmm. it be better or not, but yeah, there's a book for, for exactly that coming for you. So exactly, um, you know, sharing your stories with others and like, as you are here today to just um, help people go, you know, helping others go through that um, loss. Almost like I hear like a Trinity. Uh, yes. Three. Wow. I don't know what that's going to be, but um, I know <laughs> it's going to be amazing sharing, you Thank know, you. that with others. Um during both of your loss of losing your, your husband and your son um, afterwards or, or in between, did you have, mm-hmm. did you or your family have any counseling? We did. Um, since my youngest two were so young, um, my daughter Lauren was in fourth grade and my son Cameron was in, in sixth grade when James died. And th- there's a wonderful program here in Oklahoma City specifically for children um, that have lost a parent or a sibling in any manner. So I enrolled them in this program and begrudgingly pulled them to these meetings. And part of this was while the kids were having their counseling sessions with um, age, you know, age appropriate counseling sessions, um, I had to sit and listen to other people's stories. I, I was, it was so difficult, but one of the most beautiful things that, that happened during this counseling session I think it, this was on the last night and this went on for a couple months, um, every other Monday for a couple months, they gave every family a, a small terracotta planter and they we were supposed to put it in a sack. And then they gave, gave each of us a hammer and we were supposed to break. Each family was supposed to break the terracotta planter up. And we thought, okay, we, none of us knew where this was going. So we broke the planter up. And then they said, okay, open the bag, pour out the contents and just, you know, smash it a couple times. And then they gave us each a bottle of glue and said, put it back together. Mm-hmm. And we couldn't, we couldn't, we, we were getting so frustrated. It's like, you know, the bottom's not staying and this and that. And, and finally, you know, all hands on deck, there were six, our six hands. You hold this piece while I glue, you hold this piece while I glue. Oh, let me, let me back up. When, when we smashed these pieces, then they'd given us Sharpie markers and we were supposed to write words on, um, on each large piece, something to remember um, dad by. So we wrote these things and then they gave us the glue and said, now put it back together. Wow. So we have this very broken and tattered and shattered pot that is glued back together. And they gave us a candle and they said, it doesn't, the pot doesn't look the same the pot doesn't feel the same, but they dimmed the lights and we lit the candle and you could see the light coming out of each hole and all these, all these beautiful pots. And I'm telling you, there wasn't a dry eye in the room. It was so beautiful. It's just like the, the light is still reflecting from your dad and other kids, you know, from your mom, from your sister, it was just beautiful. And that is sitting on a, a 
the shelf in my family room, you know, prominent display to this day. Um, well, it'll be 12 years next month, 12, 12 years later. It's just beautiful. So we, we sought counseling right away. When Sierra was killed, it was so different. Um, Miami, I was so, I was just in a state of shock. I, I just could not. While I was shocked with James's death, I knew I still had little kids that I had to get to school every day and, you know, cook and clean for when Sierra was killed. It, it, it was just so different. And it was my child, not my, not my husband. Um, so it took me, I'm, I think around two years to go to counseling. And I, you know, I finally thought, okay, I was seeing things in my children. Um, you know, they're, they're, I'm not going to say refusal to talk about it, but I thought this is, this is really odd. We're just not mentioning it. What happened a whole lot. And my son just, um, my son, Cameron just dove deep into his friendships. He, which I thought was beautiful, but I could see my daughter just becoming an introvert more and more and more introverted. So I sought counseling uh, for the three of us and each of them would again, go to an age appropriate counselor it was not the same program. And it was, it was so beneficial. I'm so thankful that we did that. Um, my son's counselor said, if his thing is to surround himself with friends, let him surround himself with friends. And it has worked for Cameron all these years for my daughter. The counselor said, is there any way she can get a puppy or a kitten? She can turn you know, the sorrow will turn into love and care for something else. Um, and she can't do it with mom and brother. She needs something that's her own. So she got a puppy and was a wonderful dog mom to her puppy. Um, and then for me, I, I went a little bit longer. I, besides my grief, I was so angry. I was so angry and I really, really needed an outlet for that anger. So I went to counseling longer than my children did, but it was incredibly beneficial. And I had what I think is the world's greatest counselor um, at the time. She, she was just wonderful and helped me tremendously to kind of sort out um, grief from anger, anger for, from action, um, and, and gave me some really wonderful tools um, that I use to this day. Absolutely. Oh, thank you so much for sharing yeah. all of that information and how the counselor, um, how um, uh, about the pot story. Uh, that's going always with me. Uh, that was very beautiful. And then how the light yeah. came through and yeah. the struggle of going to counseling, even though you had counseling prior to, can you talk a little bit more about that? Just, you know, why do you feel that it took you two years as opposed to you going right, right on with initially? Well, uh, quite frankly, the first year I, I was numb. I was just, you know, I woke up every day saying this cannot be real. I kept expecting Sierra to walk through the door. I kept expecting a phone call from him. And the first year I just, you know, short of waking up and going to bed, that was pretty much my life. I made sure that my kids were attending school and they were, you know, fine, as healthy as could be. Um, and I just, I just struggled. I just, you know, I, I kept thinking, how is this my life? The second year, so the first year was really shocked for me. The second year was complete anger. I mean, a, a year of holy smokes. Um, I, I'm, I'm really mad that somebody's 
careless and callous decision changed our lives forever and took my son's life. This, this, this wasn't an illness. It, you know, um, this was not Sierra's choice to die that, that evening, someone else made the decision to wreck our lives. And I was just so angry. And I really, I'm going to say, I, I didn't do anything outwardly uh, about my anger. I just thought I, I, I owe my kids more than this. I owe them so much more than being a bitter, they know I'm changed and they're going to be changed forever, but but the bitterness and the absolute, I mean, anger doesn't seem strong enough a word, quite frankly, but I, I thought I owe, I owe my kids so much more than this. They've lost their dad. They've lost their brother. I cannot turn into this really, really unattractive, ugly personality and mom for them. And I thought, okay, time, time to, time to ask for some help. Yeah. Now share, um, just as much as you would like to share in surrounding Sierra's um, criminal case or how could we, or how can the public support you? Or is there a number or is there, you know, where are you with the criminal case? Um, we just passed the nine-year mark for Sierra's murder in August of this year, and it is still unsolved. Um, they have had a suspect pretty much all along from the very beginning. And unfortunately, um, when my son was killed, there were 200 people at the scene. Um, it was a grand opening of a sports bar that evening. And there were 200 witnesses there and no one, no one has come forward. Um, just over a year into the, it's the Miami night show. We'll be right back. A confidential informant came forward and said, this is what, this is what I witnessed. This is what I heard. This is what I was told by the person responsible for killing Sear. Um, but it was kind of, while they think it's credible, it was still kind of shaky information. And it's only shaky because the guy was a convicted felon. So they thought, oh, he's not going to be credible enough for a jury. They'll think, oh, he probably did it. He's just trying to put it on somebody else. That, so our local district attorney declined charges on that. Um, they arrested the guy. We had a real showy press conference that included me. Yay. They made an arrest, um, against the district attorney's advice. And after the press conference ended, the guy was let go. I believe that same afternoon. Um, it might've been the next morning that he was released. So for the last nine years, um, stay tuned. It's the Miami night show. We'll be right back. Being the protective mom still to Sierra, I've kept up with him. And it's a cold case with the Oklahoma County Sheriff's Office. Um, we have had no movement on it in all these years. Um, I am trying desperately to get the case turned over to Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation and have new agents assigned to his case that I believe will work a little more tenaciously. Um, to, to solve it. So I'm, you know, I make a plea quite often on my social media. Um, I've done media stories since year was killed asking for the public's help. You know, there's, there's a parent out there that has a grandchild that might've been there there, uh, or excuse me, a grandparent that has a grandchild that could have been at the scene. There's a parent with 
kids. There are now nine years older, um, you know, young men and young women that were at the scene that could have seen something. And at the time they were terrified and didn't want to come forward. They were in shock and didn't want to come forward. But things might have settled down a bit, um, settled in their conscience a bit more over the last nine years that they can come forward now. So I always make a plea that if anyone has information to contact the Oklahoma County Sheriff's Office. And I'm, you know, nine years later, I'm I'm still saying it. I hope this is going to be the last year. I hope before we, we hit 10 years that we have an arrest, um, a trial and conviction that would be glorious. But if not, and the reality is that there very well could be in my lifetime, the if not, I'm, I'm still, you know, I can be the vessel if they don't want to go to the um, sheriff's office directly. So what part of, and I know you did discuss this um, a little bit earlier, but what part of the stages of grief do you relate to out of the five or six or seven? Because, you know, um, there's so many out there, but um, I, I really relate to the, the five stages. So can you mm-hmm. share any information surrounding your, um, the, like, the life cycle of grief that you experience? Oh, sure. It, it's going to be denial and shock. Clearly that, that hit me the hardest, um, with James and Sierra. um, with James, I wasn't so much angry as just, I, I just felt so cheated. I, I felt so cheated. Cause like I said, I, I married my best friend and good gracious, you know, I didn't want to do, I, I was 44, um, when I was widowed and I, didn't want to do life without him. Didn't want to continue raising our children. We, we planned this life and planned our children. And, you know, I, I was just so disappointed and just, just heartbroken. Um, the one thing that, and then of course, anger was here. The one thing that I, I think it's safe to say that I didn't experience was depression. I would, especially with James, I was too busy. I was too busy trying to take care of my children to be depressed or, or, um, to, to even have that into my mind. And I, I have to say, you know, I'm, um, if I was depressed, I sure didn't know it. And if I, I, I've never acknowledged it. I just thought too busy, got to keep going. And I had a wonderful support system. My mom was by far, the biggest blessing in my life. Uh, when my husband died every single day, we would either see each other or talk on the phone for hours. I would call her at three in the morning, just bawling and crying. And she'd just say, I know my mom was widowed in her fifties. So she knew exactly what I was going through. It's just that my brothers and I were already grown when our dad passed away. Um, but she was so instrumental. She helped me with my children. Uh, it, it, she was just such a huge blessing with Sierra. It was just the shock and then the, and then the anger. And right now it's, I don't even know that there's been acceptance. Um, I was involved in the survivor summit over the weekend and I was listening to somebody speak and good gracious, it hit me that had my child not been murdered, I wouldn't be on this call. I wouldn't be in any of these conferences, zoom calls, advocacy work. And some days, you know, I think, golly, I don't want to do this. I don't want to have to be in this position. And then I, okay, but I am. And I realized years ago that for whatever reason, you know, 
thank you, God. I'm strong enough to do this, that, that I didn't quit, that I didn't give up, that I, um, you know, that, that some people can do this and some can't, some people just, you know, go on with their lives in however manner they do this and cannot be a voice. And I completely understand because years ago, I never thought I would be, you know, in this position. Um, so I, you know, I would say it's kind of been a blend and a mixture of these things, um, and acceptance I've accepted, I've accepted that James passed away year. I'm nine years later. I'm still working on that, honestly. And, and I think in in my mind, one of the roadblocks to acceptance is it just seems so unfinished. Yes. He was killed. Yes. There was a funeral. Yes. I saw my child. Yes. I buried my child, but who's responsible for this? You know, with my husband, it was so, it was just final. It was his, his heart. It was final. That's that with Sierra. Well, sure. It's final, but what, what about the person that took his life? What about justice for him? What about, so to me, until that happens, it's got, you know, it's kind of like I'm running from acceptance. Of course, I know he's not coming back. I've, I, I've accepted that part, but the full acceptance and just to be able to be a grieving mom, rather than a mom that's still seeking justice and fighting, you know, what I think is really bad police work in my son's case, it's, I'm not quite there all the time on acceptance, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes perfectly sense. Um, okay. Everything that you stated. Um, <clears throat> and it's, it's however you receive and feel, you know, um, right. like they say, grief is nonlinear. You may go through this one. You may not go through that one. It's not right. no chronological order. Um, it's not meant that, oh, you have to have some type of acceptance, but um, to your credit, you have accepted most of it. You mm-hmm. have come to some point of acceptance of it. Like you said, right. you know, you've come to that, but, and I'm sure that all is related to it being a unsolved case. So right, uh, right. you are doing amazing as far Thank as you. sharing your story and making sure that Sierra's story get told and someone, you know, is someone is out there that knows. Um, this exactly. Truth. And we just pray that that comes forth um, for you and your family. Thank you. You're welcome. So explain some of the complexities of the grieving process that caused discomfort to your, um, mental well-being. Admitting that I needed help. That was very, very difficult for me admitting that I needed help and that I couldn't do this. Um, when, when James died, I, you know, my thinking was I did the counseling for my children's sake. Uh, they, you know, they needed it. They were too young. And, you know, I, I didn't know how to do this by myself. So that was just a given after James died. So for two and a half years before Sierra was killed, I was so independent, everything, you know, I I was in charge of everything. So, and then the two years after Sierra was killed, that it took me to get to counseling. I thought I got this, I got this. And it, it, it wasn't right before counseling with Sierra, but one day my children left for school and they said, um, are you going to change clothes today? And I said, well, I change clothes every day, of course. And they said, you, you've been in that same outfit for five days. And I didn't even realize it five days. 
they would leave for school. I would get in the bed and cry. They would come home from school. Here's dinner. Here's homework. I love you guys so much. Go to sleep, wake up and repeat. I didn't even realize that. And that was, ah, that, that changed me that day for sure. Mm-hmm. I took a shower and washed my hair and curled my hair and put on makeup and it, you know, a nice outfit. And they came home from school and said, mommy, you look so nice. And I thought, oh, these poor babies. I didn't even realize what I was doing to them in Miami. If I can share, I, I had a dream. Um, I had a dream shortly after that. And in the dream, I, it's still so vivid to this day. In the dream, we were in a really bad car wreck, um, Cameron and Lauren and I, and we were, our car rolled and rolled and rolled and went down a, a ravine and we were in the ditch. And I told the kids, stay here. Just don't come up, stay in the ditch. If we were out of the car, but stay in the ditch until, and it was on a highway. And I said, until I tell you. So I crawled up this ravine and I got to the highway and I looked to the left, looked to the right, looked to the left again, and there were no cars coming. And I said, you know, the coast is clear. You guys can come up now. Well, that's a huge metaphor. I had to make sure the coast was clear to tell my kids and the ravine was life. It's, it's okay to come up. It's okay to participate again. It's okay to rejoin life. I've, I've checked it out. The coast is clear. I'm going to protect you. And the, the car rolling and wrecking was, I couldn't protect Sierra. And my feeling that I, there's never enough that I can do to protect my other children. And that was the car wreck. I let it happen, but now the coast is clear. My word, that was, that dream was such a pivotal thing for me. And it, it was life altering. Actually, it, it just made me move differently with my children. And, um, I hated the dream. It, it was terrifying. I hated it, but gosh, I'm so thankful for it now. I'm so thankful because it, it absolutely changed how we responded and how I responded and, and, uh, proceeded with my children. Yeah. 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 Wow. Hmm. That dream. Now you talked a little bit about your, um, your advocacy work and how you've committed your life to it. Share that journey with us. Sure. Um, I first, um, I heard about the Oklahoma Homicide Survivor Support Group right after Sierra was killed. And I called a phone number. No one ever called me back. A year later, I saw the same card. I called the phone number. No one called me back. This happened for a couple of years. I thought, well, it wasn't meant to be. And somehow or another, several years after Sierra was killed, I saw information about a meeting and I thought, let me see what they're, let me see what they're about. And I went to the meeting and they went around the circle and everybody told why they were there, what happened in their lives, who they had lost to homicide. And I was so shaken by that. It was just traumatic. And the, the stories were just, you know, devastating to hear. And I, I couldn't speak at that meeting. I was crying so badly. I could not speak. And I left the meeting and thought there's no way in this world I'm ever going back. And I didn't for a year. And then I thought, well, let me, let me try one more time. Second time I went a year later, um, I went and I, I still couldn't talk. I was crying, but I just, you know, said, I'm serious, mom. That's about it. 
I waited a couple months, went back again, several months later and went back again. And there was another mom there that was brand new to the homicide of her son, brand new to this journey. And she was inconsolable. She was who I was years, you know, years uh, past. She was absolutely inconsolable. And I thought during the meeting is not the time for me to try and console her, but I thought, I know, I know what to say. I know what to say to her. So I waited till after the meeting and grabbed her in the hallway and, you know, talked to her and said, I get it. I get it. I get it. You are mad at the world. You're mad at the person that took his life. You're mad at your son for being, you know, he was going home from work. He wasn't doing anything wrong, but she's mad that he's gone. You're mad at the investigation. You're mad at the world and nothing's going to fix it and make it better. I so get this. We exchanged information. Um, I actually knew her from years ago. My stepdaughter went to school with her children. So I knew of her. We weren't friends or anything. And now, you know, we text each other regularly. We're still in communication. Anything that has to do with a grief support event or something with remembrance, you know, I'm letting her know here's an opportunity to show up. And I realized then I, you know, I can, I can do this. Um, so I continued going to these monthly meetings. Um, several years ago, I was voted in as vice president of the group. And it's, it's been, it has been a journey that, you know, we've, I, I've heard this said, and everyone can relate. No one wants to be in this group. No one wants to be in this fraternity, sorority, this group. But thank goodness there are people that understand our journey. Yeah. Um, so two years ago, um, gosh, May of 2019, I went to a community event about um, violence on uh, the east side of Oklahoma County, which was where my son was killed. And I attended the event just thinking it was a community event. And there were all these people in red shirts that said, mom is demanding action, along with a bunch of community um, representative. And after the meeting, mom's been action. People said, you know, there's a group. Here's what we do. And I'd heard of them. I'd seen them in red shirts. I just thought I'm busy enough. You know, I don't have time. And right after that, it was Wear Orange Weekend in June. I spoke at Wear Orange Weekend. Next thing you know, I'm blinking and I'm at GSU, Gunsense University in Washington, D.C., August of 2019. And I have been with them ever since. I'm currently the survivor member lead in Oklahoma City. I'm also with Everytown Survivor Network as a um, 2019, oh gracious, 2020 fellow rather. Um, and then I'm, I'm involved with a leadership working group with Everytown and a leadership working group for cold case homicides with Everytown. So, you know, one meeting turned into Several. <laughs> oh, yes. I'm an advocate. Well, what is this? I'm happily, happily yeah. accepting this, you know, as, as part of my life. You are so right. Um, we don't want to be a part of this club, but we meet so right. many amazing people. Like, oh gosh, I, yes. I got an opportunity to meet you and um, yeah. so many others that, um, really come and show up to do this work. Absolutely. It's very, very important um, to share your story and to learn more about, you know, legislation and how sure. we support and help each other. 
Um, I know I have learned a lot, you know, working with Moms Demand Action and also every town, even though I'm on a little hiatus break, uh, but I mm-hmm. needed that too. But um, sure. it's, um, I, I actually loved working um, in, that, in that whole atmosphere of just trying to, uh, you know, being a grief counselor, coach and um, specialist, I, I saw the depth of the grief in, mm-hmm. in that community um, mm-hmm. with my survivor sisters and brothers. And mm-hmm. it's a lot of work that's there that, that needs to, um, that we should, I think, not only do we come together to be there for each other, but there is a lot of uncovering work that needs to be supported oh. with counselors and, you know, that Absolutely. support the community because it's, a, you know, not only what I learned that we are dealing with the loss of our loved ones through this trauma, there is, there is that untalked about trauma from past um, events or things that people don't share just because we're here to talk about gun violence, but there's still so much other trauma that um, that we don't talk about just because it's, you know, it's, I guess it's not a platform to do that, but right. uh, a lot of work. Um, right. Absolutely. But it's a great opportunity for, um, for families that have lost their loved ones to come, please come, you know, for it. Do you have a call up action today for us for um, anyone that are, are experiencing the same life altering um, events? Absolutely. It, it would be get involved. It would be whether you want to simply share your story to the community, to politicians, whether you want to be involved in the, the policy changes and legislation, or you want to just bring on other survivors and say, hey, there's a community for you. I would recommend to any and everybody um, to look up your local Moms Run Action chapter and, and get involved. If there's not one in your city, there's one close to you. You know, there are state chapters everywhere. Um, I would definitely recommend that people reach out and see, you know, attend a meeting, volunteer, see if there's something, you know, there's so many different avenues that this can go down. Um, you, know, being a survivor, um, you know, being a survivor member lead, I thought, okay, this is just what I'm going to do. And then, oh, there's an op- opportunity to be in survivor connect. There's an opportunity for the fellowship program. I was amazed at how many different opportunities presented themselves to me. And that's great for somebody that wants a lot of opportunities, but other times, like I said, if you just want to sit with other people that knowing that there are complete strangers that will advocate for me and my children and my son and remembering and honoring Sierra is just really, I can't even tell you how heartwarming that is. I thought you know, I, these people haven't met so many haven't met me and they're so responsive on Sierra's birthday and Sierra's anniversary of his, of his homicide. And, you know, different times when I'm just, you know, missing my son, I have never been so surrounded by loving people and, you know, they don't want anything from me. (laughs) They don't want anything. This is, it's not, you know, I'll give you this. Yeah. I'll, I'll remember your son. If you no, it's just pure and genuine. So I would say, goodness gracious, contact, um, you know, join or survivor at six, four, four, three, three. I, you know, that number texting it is, is just ingrained into me. Now Um, you can Google your, your mom's chapters. I would definitely say that and wear a wonderful red shirt. You know, we are really recognized. We are respected throughout this country. Um, from, you know, the, the volunteers that we have and leaders that we have in Mom's Man Action. 
Yes, absolutely. So thank you so much for sharing sure. on your journey. What has been the most helpful to support your healing process? Oh, acknowledging where I am every day and giving myself the permission that I don't, it does not have to be sunny and bright and rosy every day, that if it's a bad day, it is simply a bad day. And you wake up tomorrow and hope it's different. And if it's not, it's, it's okay. But but giving yourself permission to be okay where you're at. Um, I, I think I shared this with you before that I was at a, a ceremony the Christmas this year passed away and the speaker said, there's no, there's no clock or calendar on grief. There is no handbook or rule book. There are suggestions, but everybody's journey is so different and knowing that and being okay with that, you know, allowing yourself to be in a, not necessarily a dark spot, but just, you know, some days you just, some days I just miss year that every smell reminds me of him, every song, every commercial, you know, I can hear my son or daughter say something and I'm like, gosh, that sounds just like Sear. Um, Sear's daughter was born four months after he was killed. So she never got to meet him. She's heard stories, of course, um, about Sear. But she'll say things sometimes that I think she sounds like him. And I'm thinking, holy smokes, you know, so those days there, and it's really weird with my granddaughter. I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled that she sounds like him. I'm thrilled that she has some of the same expressions as he has, as he or has. And then I realize as soon as she goes home, how heartbreaking it is. So I love to see her and I love to spend time with her. And then there is that psh, air out of the balloon whenever I take her home. And I think that the joy outweighs the sadness in this. Um, I'm heartbroken for her, of course, heartbroken for her. And knowing how many children are growing up without a parent or both parents because of gun violence, yeah. staggering. I never, you know. I, Miami, I have to admit that prior to Sierra being killed, didn't hit my family. didn't think about it. And, you know, while I would just ache hearing news of another homicide in my city and ache at the mass shootings that I'd hear about on the national news and, and just think, you know, gosh, I can't imagine, I can't imagine ever being in this position to now knowing I'm one of over a hundred a day in this position that are affected by gun violence every single day in America. It's, it's staggering. Um, so, you know, back to, back to acknowledging when, you know, some days are just melancholy and some days are fantastic. And it's like, you know what, I'm going to do this for us a year. And other times I'm like, I'm not going to do it because it's a year yeah. and, and just being okay with that. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, self-care. I never knew about self-care or I didn't have a name for it. And, oh, I am such a firm believer in that, whether it's, you know, getting a pedicure, listening to music, <laughs> leave me alone <laughs> for 15 minutes. I need to, I need to smell this, you know, wonderfully scented candle, just knowing that I can unplug, unplug from my family, society, my obligations 
and just have me time, that's been huge as well. And, and that was really hard for me to get to. I felt guilty doing self-care. I thought, but I have blah, 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 blah to do. And so-and-so needs me. And so-and-so needs me. Mm-mm. No. And, um, you know, I shared with you also my, my health just suffered tremendously after my husband uh, passed away in Sierra, I passed away, you know, I, <laughs> the list of things going on in this body is staggering. And I firmly believe that it is grief related. It is trauma related. And, um, you know, I had to figure it out. I, my kids cannot lose their mom because of health problems that are stress and grief related. So I, I know to unplug and that it's, it's essential. I mean, it's literally essential for my health and my well being to do that. And it also gives my, my children, a, you know, permission that they don't have to be, they don't have to act a certain way and be okay every day that they can just say, you know, some days it sucks. This just sucks. Mm-hmm. And the passage of time doesn't help some days. It just doesn't help. It's still real and hurtful and traumatic and sad. And, um, and, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Again, you know, I, some, uh, there are days that Miami, I, I wake up just to say, let me go to bed at eight tonight, just so I can have a better day <laughs> or it's, yeah. it's only 2 PM. Let me go to bed at seven tonight and just hope, you know, tomorrow's a better day. And it, it is, it always is. Mm-hmm. It's always, you know, a, a restart every day is a restart on, you know, this, this path that we have. Um, um, you spoke earlier about the holidays and since we're coming mm-hmm. into the holidays, is there mm-hmm. anything that you can share with the, my group nation listeners about how to process as we're going through the holidays? What was some examples or, or can you give an example or just kind of help us through that? Um, mine has been mine well, I, I'll say this. Mine for the first several years was so different. I, I wanted no part of family. I did not want any part of being around family for the holidays. Um, and the holidays were huge. Thanksgiving and Christmas were huge in my family. You know, the food, my <laughs> my husband and my son, good Lord, they'd start talking about it in September. You know what? I can't wait to taste so-and-so's, you know, grandma's dressing and can't wait to whatever. They were the only two in my family that eat chitlins. Mm-hmm. The only two <laughs> so they would have this, you know, common, this common bond of hot sauce and mustard, you know, right, right, right. <laughs> I mean, like you're going to have to go elsewhere to eat them. <laughs> so I'm making them nor will I eat them. Um, but, but, you know, just the, the camaraderie of it. And, you know, one thing that, I, that has been staggering is some days it catches me off guard, how quiet our house is, you know, there used to be six of us living here and it was always boisterous. My husband was a huge, uh, you know, the funny man, the practical joker, he loved to laugh and he made everyone else laugh. Um, so just that the quietness was really, really staggering, but I found myself not wanting to be around family. And I would actually have my kids go, like if you still want to go over to aunt and uncle's grandma and grandpa's, you know, go ahead. I promise you I'll be fine here. And, and I'm still kind of comfortable like that on Christmas. Um, I just, I'd rather be, I'd rather be by myself than around family. However, since then I've, I really 
enjoy and respect the, the, the fellowship and, um, you know, the coming together. It, I think for so many years, it was to me, you know, for sitting at a table there, I, I kept seeing two empty seats. They were full of other people, but to me, there are two empty seats at this table. And my mom started to practice years ago um, that I love. She would light um, three candles, one for my dad, one for James and one for Sierra. She would light three candles and they would stay lit the entire time that the family was together. Usually they'd be in the middle of the dinner table and sometimes they'd be, uh, they would be placed on the buffet, but the candle stayed lit the entire time we're together. And the last person to leave my mother's house would blow out the candles. And she would say, dad and James and Sierra aren't here, but they are. And we will remember them with these three candles and, you know, they, they would stay there. And that was huge. You know, I, I went through a really hard time. Um, and I said this one time, I think it was at Thanksgiving dinner a few years ago. I said, I can't stand that. No one is talking about James and Sierra as if they didn't even exist. We're dancing around everything else. And Hey, what's in the black Friday sales. We're not even acknowledging these empty seats here that were so present. They both had such big personalities and it, it was difficult to say, you know, I said it because it was just so pressing on me and it was so real. And everyone said, we didn't want to upset you. You know, we thought if we don't talk about it, this will trigger something to where, you know, we don't want to make Sarah and the kids start crying. And I said, no, please talk about them. Please talk about them. That, that, you know, for the kids, when they had limited time with both of them, it gives them memories to, to hear about. It gives them, you know, bits and glimpses of, into their personalities that they might not have seen. Really? Did you and dad did this, you know, with uncle so-and-so? So it, I think it was giving, I think it was really healthy to give them permission to please talk about them. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're not physically here, but let's not, let's not forget that they existed. Um, so those were some hard conversations, but very necessary conversations in our family to have. And now it's, it's, you know, I'm, I'm excited about Thanksgiving again. I embrace it. Can't wait to eat all the great food that everyone's bringing. Yeah. Um, we're going to James's mother's house and my mother's house. You know, we have to split our time and have, you know, wonderful food at both places and Christmas. Um, you know, we have a big Christmas Eve celebration at my mom's house and Christmas day is just, it's just different. It's, it's us and our family jammies taking pictures and, you know, really kind of relaxed, which I, which I've come to adore, yeah. um, but it, it was hard to get there. It was really hard to get there with, with the holidays. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. That is a great sure. um, way to um, open, um, open up for the conversation for others to have, yeah. like you said, no yes. one is having the conversations. And um, I know with what you just said, what you, all that you stated, as far as your mother having these candles, you know, having, mm-hmm. you know, creating a new um, ritual, uh, mm-hmm. you know, or a cel- a different way to celebrate um, mm-hmm. your loved ones during that time. Cause a lot of people, they don't know what to say. Yeah. And yeah. So they'd rather just not say nothing at all, but that's not good. You know, we right. start having these conversations and I'm so glad that you were able to share um, how yeah. your family has transitioned through that period and what, has, yeah. what you guys all came up with, you know, to support each other doing that. Yeah. 
Exactly. So let's talk about your, um, we had talked um, previously about spirituality and religion. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. how do you see the difference in that? I, you know, that's been a journey too, for me. Um, I was raised in the Presbyterian church. My dad's a Presbyterian minister, was a Presbyterian minister. So my Christianity has been so important to me. I'm, I'm a believer um, in everything my dad taught us um, and how I was raised. I, I believe my dad and James and Sierra are all in heaven and that I'll see them when, when I pass away. Um, so I definitely, you know, I, I consider myself a Christian and practicing Presbyterian. The spirituality part has been different for me. That's been, and, and I wouldn't say new, you know, I've always felt, um, I don't know if you'd call it intuitive, but just, you know, kind of a heightened awareness. Um, I've always felt like that since I was a little girl and I, I could just, you know, sense things. And my mom would just say, pay attention to that, pay attention to that. And everyone else would say, well, that's not very Christian. Like, you know, so I didn't talk about that. I just wouldn't talk about that. And I thought, well, is it Christian or not? And I didn't even research anything. I didn't even read enough um, what growing up to say, is this against Christianity? As I'm older, I think I have to be intuitive. I have to pay attention to whatever's guiding me to either agree or disagree, to walk this way or not this way, to say, whoa, 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 or welcome in. Um, and I've never been wrong. I have listened to that. And to me, that is complete spirituality. It's okay with myself. It's okay. You know, it's giving me permission to, to be and see and do and feel, you know, that I don't have to explain to anybody else. I, I, I believe that there's a power greater than us. And I'm very, um, I need to be in alignment with that. I'm, I ran from that a long time and I've, I've realized, you know, really in the last couple of years that I need to, that I need to be in alignment and, and listen to that instead of diminishing, diminishing it and saying, well, you know, why would I think that or feel that? So, and, and, and I know you mean spirituality in a bigger sense than just being intuitive about something. But to me, since that hits home so directly, mm-hmm. that's my, um, you know, my response is knowing there's, it, it, it's, it's operating away from the black and white sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, what people would say, well, how do you explain this? Or how do you explain that? Or why would you possibly, why is meditation important to you? Why is, you know, being still and present where you are? Why is that important? Why don't you just say a prayer and get on with it? Well, prayer is part of that for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think it's, involves way more spirituality. And to me, that is, I equate that with self-awareness, um, spirituality and self-awareness to me just go hand in hand and being still and acknowledging that is to me is the biggest, is the biggest part of getting there. Um, and I'm, I'm welcoming it. The more I can learn, the more I accept it. I think the better, the more well-rounded rather I am. And there's no, you know, what could be wrong with that is bettering yourself. Yeah. And I think it's so good for people to know, especially um, if you've experienced traumas, like what you have gone through and what I've gone through, um, having that connection 
with um, your higher self and mm-hmm. higher being mm-hmm. what you actually connect with in order for in order for us to be in a better space to accept our, mm-hmm. and to also realize that our loved ones are still here with us you know right. in our heart and having that connection as well I feel right um for me the spirituality is the consciousness and the awareness of that there is something higher than myself that I connect to and absolutely also can bring in that joy of my loved ones still it, still existing you know the absolutely body just the body the body is just the shell but their spirit is to live forever and that's what religion yeah. is us as well so yeah. the spirituality is just for me it's just realizing that I am connected to a higher source mm-hmm. um, at divinity and I am able to connect with that mm-hmm. and I can let all of my fears, my traumas and all of that go to the wayside when I'm connected. That's what's exactly. Like. Yeah. So I yes. totally agree with what you were saying. Yeah. You had just have such an eloquent way of saying it. I'm kind of like, <laughs> oh, this is what <laughs> you have actually, a very actually, beautiful way of saying it. Tap into what I feel. And that's what you yeah. were doing. You were really just tapping into what is it for, for yourself. And yeah. I, I asked that question because I, I really want people to know that there's a difference. It's, it's mm-hmm. what taught and what biblically is there, but there's also outside of that, that there's this just sense of connection that's even greater than what we were taught. It's actually what we were born, our birth yes. born with. And that's what I want people to realize out of, if we had to rip away everything we were taught, what are we like, yeah. you know? Exactly. And, and to me, it's kind of, um, it's like, okay, you're taught this, spirituality means take the deeper dive in it. You're taught that. Okay. And then now how does that, how does that fit into your life? How do you, how do you, you know, respond and walk through something be, you know, in a more spiritual nature. And let me tell you, it's, (laughs) I say this often to my children, struggles. It's my struggle as a Christian, (laughs) you know, (laughs) if I, if I let a word out that I shouldn't have said, yeah. especially in front of my children, I'm like it's my struggle as a Christian. It, it, it's, it's just that growth. And, and to me, spirituality is taking a deeper dive. Okay. I might've read this passage in the Bible. Now what, you know, now what, what is it in the bigger steps in the overall picture? Instead of, I, I heard it and I read it and, you know, next page, next chapter verse, it's, it's taking that, that dive. And like I said, I ran from that for a long time. Yeah, I'm glad, yeah. glad to be on the journey though. It's ever evolving. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. For, for all of us, it's, you know, mm-hmm. I'm still like, Oh my gosh, there's still so much to know. Just when you think, you know, okay, I've I finally, I, I don't feel I have ever arrived, but it's like, there's still so much yeah, yeah. to learn out of every training or certification that I have. I still go back and I learn a little bit more um, mm-hmm. every year. I try to go back and eat. And even when it's time for me to recertify, you know, just learning what's you know, the new data that's coming available for us to know. So uh, I'm always yeah. open to learn. It. Oh, sounds oh, like same you here. are too. <laughs> Absolutely. I, as a matter of fact, I heard a speaker and his name escapes me. I, I think his first name is Ian, but he was in the survivor summit that I um, was participating in uh, this past weekend. And he said, one of the things, one of his practices for self-care, um, he calls it me, M-E-E, meditate, educate. So if First, when he first wakes up, he meditates for 30 minutes. He reads, that's his education. He reads for an hour and then exercise, meditate, educate, exercise. All right. And I thought, 
well, that's simple. <laughs> oh, very, know? very, very. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. I broke yeah. that down. And I thought, well, oh, that's, I mean, what a wonderful practice that's, you know, and sometimes, okay, you do the, the meditation and the, the prayerful time and this, the quiet time, and then life happens and phones ring and oops, mm-hmm. I'll read tomorrow or oops, yeah. you know, the day, oh gosh, it's 1130 at night. I didn't exercise. I, it was so simple to me. Yeah. Me every morning we start, I start with myself and I would like to start incorporating that right after Thanksgiving. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. When I would, when I initially started writing um, my book, the key process, a grief guide to mastering spiritual healing, that mastering the spiritual healing was developed out of these seven keys. So I definitely can relate to the me or the acronym that he used for mm-hmm. his daily practice, because it becomes a daily practice. You have right. to make sure you stick with it. And for me, it was meditation. That was my first key. And then it was plant-based dieting. Changing my diet really opened um, my awareness to like what I was putting in my body and how I was feeling and taking taking away the sugars. Actually, my husband and I, we went on on a 21 day Daniel fast and we just never went back Mm. on the fast. I mean, you know, we just never went back on eating meat Mm -hmm. after the fast. And so we did that for two years. And then I start studying mindfulness. And after studying mindfulness, then the exercising came in. So I started for me, exercising looks different from than everybody else's exercise. Stretching was really huge for me Mm -hmm. because of um, chronic pain that I was having. And then I start learning about energy healing. So Reiki and energy healing came into my life. And then I started learning more about what ancestral healing mean. And all of those Mm -hmm. things kind of helped me define my purpose. And those were the seven keys that came out for me. So once you have this daily practice of something, everything starts coming to you. Yes. Like you said, the education and then the exercise, you know, those things just start forming itself, but you have to um, definitely make sure you make it a daily practice. Um, Yes. Yeah. But that was amazing. So before I let you go, um, is there something that we didn't discuss or that you would like to see change or bring further awareness to? Oh, goodness. Um, I I would just, one of, one of my, my personal preferences in this journey is You know, going back to the, if you see something, say something. We, as a community, as a nation, cannot be like I was. It wasn't me. It wasn't my neighborhood. It wasn't my house. In that part of town, not my part of town. We have, we are a community. And you know, we, we have to, any sort of red flag that you think doesn't sound right. You know, why does somebody have 27 guns in their house? Why does somebody, you know, ride with 13 guns in their car? That's not typical. It's not normal. It should not be accepted in the, the customary practice. It is getting involved and getting involved safely, getting involved anonymously, however it's comfortable for you. I, I never want to be in the position in my life where I say, man, I should have said something. I should have said something. And clearly, since my son was killed, I will never be in that position. I won't allow myself. I, you know, there, there's crime stoppers, there's tip lines for a reason. You can remain completely anonymous. The, 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 the no snitch mentality is it's just got to go. It has got to be banished and 
we, we need to separate that from our, our distrust of law enforcement or our apprehension about law enforcement. We have to separate that and say there are families that are grieving and struggling because no one has come forward and there were 200 witnesses or there were 10 witnesses or there's witness intimidation. We have to do better and be better about that. And that is not something that you can put into law. That is not something that you can legislate. That has to come from being a decent, compassionate, conscientious human being. And I really, really would like to see that changed. Absolutely. Sarah, thank you so much for all of your insight and just sharing with us your day on um, yeah. talking about life altering changes. And yeah. um, one more thing, I guess I would like to ask what um, share two fond memories, uh, one of your husband and one of Sierra before you leave us. Sure. Sure. Um, before my husband died six weeks before he died, um, he, he was not, he was not healthy. He was disabled and had some problems. But again, we didn't expect him to pass away. But we were we were talking one evening, we were talking one day. Pardon me, the kids were at school, and he said, "Hey, can you do me a favor? I want you to uh, jot down a couple notes for me." I was being super goofy. I went and got a yellow legal pad, and you know, go ahead. I was going to be his little scribe, you know, just goofy. We were so goofy together. And I said, "Ready?" You know, go ahead. And he said, "At my funeral." And I threw the legal pad to him and I threw the pen at him. And I said, I am not doing this. I'm not doing this. And he said, I need you to pick these up and listen to me. And I started crying. I said, are you planning on ending your life? He's like, absolutely not, but I'm tired. And, you know, someday, whether it's in a year or 10 years from now, I want this process already done and I'm doing this for you. So when the day comes, you won't say, I have no idea what he wants at his funeral. I don't know what to do. And I cried and I begged him, let's not do this. Please don't do this to me. And he said, please do it for me. And I did. And he said, this is the funeral home I'd prefer to use. If there is a space at such and such a cemetery, this is where I'd like to be buried. These are the songs I'd want played. This is what I want you to tell our children. This is what I want you to tell my siblings and my parents. He listed everything. And I, I, I still have that piece of paper and there are tear stains on it. And I, you know, I cried and wrote everything down and he said, let me look it over. He's like, you got everything perfectly. And he was to the, the very last detail. He, he had everything written down and he said, go put it. We have got a file cabinet and we have a file for each of the kids that just says, you know, James is important papers. And I, he said, go put it in the front of my, of my file. And when he passed away, there it was. And that made it so, so much easier for me. The funny part about this, and that wasn't funny. It was very traumatic. And, you know, but the funny part was from that night until he passed away, we stayed up all night long talking and we didn't know it at the time. You know, it's, it's looking back the reflection that I think, yeah. oh my gosh, yeah. looking back, we talked all night, every night, just remember this, remember that. And, you know, we'd remember things together. We'd laugh, you know, we'd quietly sing a song together. We just cracked up and we shared so much. And it's kind of like, we were trying to cram as much as we could in this short period of time. Didn't know it then again, 
But one night we were just cracking up everything he said. And he was so humorous. I was cracking up and he'd start laughing. Yeah. And our daughter, Lauren was nine. And one night it had to have been two or three in the morning. And she came out in her little gown with her hand on her hip. And she said, do you two mind? I have school in the morning. And she turned around and walked off, went back to bed. And we sat there and said, we were just chastised by our nine-year-old for laughing too loud. It was hilarious. Oh. And I, I mean, I will forever, I will remember her look and her little hand on her hip, like her mom. Uh-huh. And I thought, Oh my gracious. And we laughed so hard and we were both like, you know, into a blanket <laughs> just doing it, you know, throughout the family room talking and wow. you know, it was hilarious, but just, he was such a funny guy. I just, you know, really appreciated his humor. And when we got married, he said, you know, one of his vows was, I will make you laugh every day, every day. And even the days I wanted to say, he would make me laugh. He'd say, I know you're mad, but do something, you know, ridiculous that I couldn't help but laughing. So I, I'm so thankful for those, all those years of laughter. And with Sierra, he was just goofy. I mean, he was, he was such an intelligent young man, um, you know, wonderful test scores and grades and, and just goofy. And every single, every single parent teacher conference from kindergarten till 12th grade, (laughs) the teachers would say, he will not quit talking. He's the class clown. He would not. And I, I, I never saw him as a class clown. I just thought, oh, that's just, he's just being goofy and silly. Anything for a laugh though, was his, you know, was his motto. And, um, so he, he was just so goofy. He had, he would just make up names, uh, just non-existent names for each of us. We all had these nicknames and he would make them up and we're like, what? why would you call us that? You know, one of the, one of the things he would, he called my daughter toast and I'm like, where did toast come from? And he would, you know, come and kiss her cheeks and pinch her cheeks and say, you know, just call her toast, not Lauren. And she was toast. Yeah. And I'm thinking, just, just goofy. Um, and, and I miss that too. I just miss him being like, everyone would say, you know, really? And then we'd, we'd just crack up. He would do impersonations all the time. Aww. You know, it'd sound like somebody from work or sound like, you know, I bet this is what grandma's going to sound like. Um, one really funny experience. Sierra was in high school and <laughs> uh, no, no, I think he was out of high school, but he had some friends over in his room and, you know, kind of listening and I couldn't understand anything they were saying. And I, I was like, don't talk slang, you know, use proper, proper English and proper diction. So I went to the door and I, I knocked and, and all of the guys had their, you know, their pants were a little lower than I wanted them. I read something one day that said, there's respectability at wearing pants at your waist. And okay. so I said, okay, guys, well, I, I clean up the language and <laughs> everyone hike your pants up. Right. So the guys brought their pants up to about right here. They oh, just <laughs> pulled them all up here. They tightened their belts, you know, cinched their belts. And Sierra said in a, in a British accent, he's like, you know, gentlemen, my mother's requested that we wear, you know, our pants at a proper level and speak properly. <laughs> so then they all started doing that and, you know, begged my forgiveness for not Aww. speaking. And, and this, they all had these British accents. It was hilarious. I'm like, oh, okay, smart smart Alex, you know, thank you very much. Close the door. And they carried on. 
So as they were each leaving that day, you know, or they, you know, come out to the kitchen for something, their pants were still up to here. And, you know, do you mind if I have a, um, just a scotch of tea? You know, it was hilarious. And I thought only Sierra would come up with something like, Hey guys, let's all talk like this. Let's right. all wear our pants at a ridiculously high level to please right. my mom. And his friends to this day, um, one of his friends will come over and he'll say, hey, remember that one time we all pulled our pants up. It was, you know, 12 or 13 years ago. It was hilarious though. Just goofy, unexpected. Yes. Um, you know, got wonderful, wonderful, thankfully great memories with them. Great. And, I, I love it. I love yeah. it. Yeah. And they all revolve around humor. I love yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. And- yeah. Especially the story, first of all, going back to you, your daughter with her hands on the hip. And she's just she's just as comical as, as the boys are. Oh, yeah. <laughs> See, yeah. Like, even just. at that young age. But yeah. her husband and Sierra just being, you know, that that joy and that light and you I can still see yeah. it in, in you and in you yeah. still I, I can oh my gosh, it's just it's so touching. Yeah. Um one thing that came up, um was these two peas um about your husband he um was the preparer um mm-hmm. preparing you for a time mm-hmm. such that you had to go through and he mm-hmm. kept his promise to keep you always laughing yeah. and smiling so yeah I, I thought yeah. that was very interesting um he kept his promise and he all and he prepared you for a time yeah he did that, yeah that, you know you didn't think that you were gonna have to go through but you did, but yeah, exactly. You're here. You're doing. Well, I am. Your children Thank you. are flourishing, and Thank you have you. still this joy in your heart and the smile on your face. Oh, absolutely, so absolutely. You're doing good. You're doing. Good. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and you look beautiful. <laughs> Thank you so much. I I have. I will own the word resilience. I you know. Yeah. I need to get a t-shirt, sweatshirt made with that resilience. <laughs> yes. Yes. yes, yes. <laughs> but yeah. Well, Sarah, thank, thank you, you so much for being on the show and sharing your loved ones with us and yeah. helping us to just realize, you know, um, everybody's journey looks different, but it's so mm-hmm. good to hear how you have transformed and transitioned into yeah. this lovely woman still, you know, thank taking you. care of yourself and your children and making it look great. Thank uh, you uh, so much. <laughs> it has been absolutely an honor to, to be on here, Miami. Thank you so much for having me you're welcome well there you have it grief nation listeners and thank you for tuning in to another transformative segment on it's the miami night show grief talk today we give thanks filled with love and gratitude to our special guests for expressing your very unique grief journey and sharing ways of understanding the healing process this is your girl miami night with much love and light until we connect again spiritually bye-bye He's got me walking that great one. Going slow mo. He's got me talking that great time. Going slow mo. He's got me clocking the way. It's the Miami Night Show. Hey, yeah. Slow mo. He's got me walking that great one. Going slow mo. He's got me talking that great time. Going slow mo. He's got me clocking the way. What up, tribe? It's Miami Night Show, Master Hey, Welcome to the Miami Night Show. He got me walking that grief walk. It's time for grief talk, y'all. Yeah. I talk about things you think about. It's my midnight